The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. The scripture reading for today is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. So I'll give you a minute to flip there. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First you take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. You just heard verses 1 through 12 read. This week we will primarily focus in on verses 1 through 6. We'll do a flyby of verses 7 to 12, but don't worry, we will sink in there and sink our teeth in good next week. So, Matthew chapter 7. On more than one occasion, Solomon, my four-year-old, has like waltzed into mine and Holly's room with this very suspicious grin on his face. And then proceeded to ask permission to watch some Disney Channel tween show. Like, which he obviously has no personal interest in at all. I mean, this kid, like, he loves Octonauts and Paw Patrol and Rescue Bots. And if you don't know what any of that is, you are blessed of the Lord. All right? But this is the things that he, these are the things that he likes. He, he is never of his own volition Gone, you know what I could really go for right now? Like some Hannah Montana or iCarly. Like, that's not him. When he does that, it's painfully obvious that he has been co-opted by one of his older siblings who has sent him in to mom and dad because surely mom and dad do not have the willpower or the ability to say no to the youngest slash cutest of the haifs. Oh, how wrong they are. Um, but it's painfully obvious that that's what's going on because whenever you are all about yourself, which is what that older sibling is being in that moment, whenever you're all about yourself, it necessarily shows up in how you relate to everybody else. When you're all about yourself. It will show up in how you relate to others. I believe that's what we see going on right here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. This is the final teaching section of the Sermon on the Mount. Like the overarching structure, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 20 is like the introduction. And then from verse 20 on, we're in the main teaching. The main teaching section concludes right here at chapter 7 and verse 12. Everything after verse 12 is conclusion. 
And what we've seen in this main teaching section throughout the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus has been teaching us about our need for a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now you remember, righteousness for the scribes and the Pharisees, it was merely external. It was just doing the right actions. They had no internal affection for God. Thus, they lived a divided life. You see that? Externally, they claimed and looked like they were all about God, but internally, they were all about themselves. And we've seen that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen that that affects how they relate to everything. We've seen how them being all about themselves affects how they relate to God's Word. They make it about justifying themselves. We've seen how them being all about themselves affects how they relate to worship. They make it about glorifying themselves. And we, over the past couple of weeks, we've seen how them being all about themselves affects the way they relate to the world, specifically over the last few weeks, to the possessions of the world. They make those all about satisfying themselves. And now, right here, we see how they relate not to the possessions of the world, but the people of the world. Because when you are all about yourself, it shows up in how you relate to everybody else. How do the Pharisees, who are all about themselves, how do they relate to everybody else? Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. If Jesus is calling us away from the lesser righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, then that's exactly what we are getting a picture of right here. And this is confirmed for us all over the Gospels. This is how the Pharisees related to others. They were judgmental towards others. They looked down on others. Apparently, they saw themselves as better than everybody else. Apparently, the Pharisees being all about themselves meant that they related to everybody else through arrogant self-righteousness. They were all about themselves. So how they relate to everybody else, it's got to affect it. And it does. I'm all about myself. I elevate myself further. So I relate to others through arrogant self-righteousness. But shades, Jesus has called us to a righteousness greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The righteousness of his kingdom that's not hypocritically divided. No, it's actually a holy righteousness because it's actually whole. The external and the internal are united, not divided. You love God, and so you live for God. Your actions flow out of your affections. This is the greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ. And Jesus has spent this whole sermon showing us what that looks like. What what does it look like? He's shown us what it looks like to live out this greater righteousness in relation to the word. What it looks like to live out this greater righteousness in relation to worship. And over the past couple of weeks, he's been showing us what it looks like to live it out in relation to the world. Mainly the possessions of the world and now the people. That's what he aims to show us right here. This greater righteousness of a heart that actually loves and has affection for God. So its actions flow forth from it. What does it look like? that greater righteousness to relate to the people of the world. Because, conversely, I said, when we're all about ourselves, it affects how we relate to everybody else. The converse is true as well. When we are not about ourselves, that should also show up in how we relate to everybody else. What does that look like? 
What does the greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ look like as we relate to others? That's what we want to see. As we've already seen, Jesus starts with what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like arrogant self-righteousness. Let's sink into this. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, despite what most people think, Jesus is not prohibiting all judgment right here. It should be pretty easy to see that if you just read through the teaching of Jesus. Throughout his teaching, he calls us to use wise judgment. We normally call it discernment. He's actually going to call us to use discernment, wise judgment, twice in this very passage. Like, he is in in verse 5 and in verse 6. He is not prohibiting all judgment. What is he prohibiting? Unfair, unrighteous, unjust judgment. You can see that clearly through the warning that he gives in verse 2. Look at it. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, don't judge unfairly using a different standard for everybody else. Because that may feel life-giving in the moment, like it makes you better than everybody else. It may feel life-giving, but it will end up being deadly to you. Jesus says it will end up being deadly because there is an ultimate judge who sets all wrongs right. So he will take whatever standard you use on others and use it on you. That's justice. Fairness. It's a making of wrongs right. That's what Jesus illustrates in the rest of verse 2. Look at it. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a marketplace illustration. So in the first century, a lot of things in the market had to be weighed out, like like wheat. Weigh out the wheat, weigh out the prices of how you made sure everything was fair and balanced. But you could cheat. You could cheat people if you had some rigged measurements going on. So to ensure fairness, justice... What would be fair is whatever measure you use for selling wheat to others, that should be the measure used whenever wheat is sold to you. Jesus' point is don't cheat people. Instead, treat them the way that you want to be treated. That should sound familiar. Is that not the golden rule that we find at the very end of this passage in verse 12? Look at it. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's just the inverse of verse 1 and 2. Don't treat others unfairly. No, because you don't want that coming back on you. However you would want to treat others, that's, that's how you should treat it. Use the measure with them that you want used on you because Jesus says the day is coming when it will be. A just judge will set all things right. It's like a... It's like what I do with my kids when I make them split uh, a piece of dessert. Like if the one doing the dividing intentionally tries to make their piece bigger, which you know always happens. And I don't know why they do it, because they know what I'm going to do. If they intentionally try to make, to measure out a smaller piece for the sibling, I make them swap pieces. Justice. The measure that you use will be measured back to you. This is what Jesus is saying. 
Don't judge unjustly because there is an ultimate judge. In my kid's case, it's me. In our case, it's God. There's an ultimate judge who will ensure that justice is done. And now, in verse 3, Jesus gives us another illustration. Probably the most famous one in the entire Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us this next illustration to reveal precisely what kind of unfair, unjust judgment he has in mind. Look at it with me. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that's in your own. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? What kind of unfair, unjust judgment does Jesus have in mind? Arrogant, self-righteous judging. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. You can see that clearly in this illustration about not being able to see clearly. Can you not? Jesus right here is, is pulling from his uh, carpentry background, construction worker background. He was the son of a carpenter, a tectone. You can work with stone, work with wood. Basically, it's just your average run-of-the-mill construction worker, day, day laborer. And so it seems like Jesus is, is envisioning a common situation he probably would have experienced. Speck of sawdust getting in your eye. I'm, uh, OSHA was not necessarily around monitoring these construction situations. Not a whole lot of eye protection going on, I imagine. And he sets that what was probably a really common situation. He sets that right next to a ridiculous, literally impossible situation of getting a roofing beam stuck in your eye. This is not a plank. This is not a piece of wood. This is not a stick. It's not a two-by-four. It's a beam. Log is not a bad translation right here. I mean, in construction, the roof was basically the only place they used wood in first century Israel. Everything else was mud brick. So, Jesus sets this common situation of a sawdust speck in the eye next to the roof ridiculous situation of a beam stuck in your eye and then he asks two questions why and how do you notice that in verses three and four it's how they begin why and how first why 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 do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but you don't notice the beam in your own why? We're supposed to know why. We're supposed to know the answer from verses 1 and 2. It's because we're using a different measurement for our brother than we use for ourselves. We're judging them by a different standard. That's why we see their speck and don't see our beam. Why? Why do we see the speck? Miss the beam? Because of arrogant self righteousness that blinds me to beams and sharpens my ability to see specks it's, it's like the pharisees right who see every little mistake that everybody else everybody else commits everybody else makes but they are blind to the fact that their entire lives are lived in opposition to god's glory because their entire lives are all about their own glory blind to that they're being all about themselves. It shows up in how they treat everybody else. And we are meant to ask right here, what about us, Shades? 
Like, do we have eagle eye vision for specks? For specks in each other's eyes? While virtually being blind to beams in our own? I mean, we could do the easy thing right here. It would be easy to talk about how other people are guilty of this. I hope you see the irony in that. It would be really easy to like turn on our culture and society right here. Talk about how we live in such a judgmental culture that claims to be tolerant. Just take a perusal of your social media feed. Judgiest judging culture ever. Be easy to judge our judgmental culture. But Jesus is actually calling us right here quite clearly to take a hard look at ourselves. He's calling the church to take a hard look at our own beams. How do I know that? He specifically says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother or sister's eye? It's a Greek word, adelphoi. Literally just means brothers and sisters. Matthew always uses it to refer to fellow believers in Jesus. Jesus is telling us not to relate to one another. Of course we're not supposed to relate to the world in self-righteous, arrogant judgment. We're supposed to be a light to the world. He's covered all that. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he turns and he looks at us and goes, here's how you're supposed to relate to one another, not through arrogant self-righteousness. And it makes perfect sense to me, Shades, why he would make this the last thing he says in the teaching section of the Sermon on the Mount. Because after we've heard all of this teaching... Would this not be the point where we would be most tempted to say, that was a great sermon, Jesus. I know exactly who should have heard it. And we, we use the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, which should help us see our own beams. We use it as a means to focus on our brothers and sisters' specs. Jesus, I know who needed to hear that part about twisting your word. I know who needed to hear that part about making worship all about themselves. Or I really, I really know who needed to hear that part about treasuring all the possessions of this world because they, they've got a massive materialism problem. Or let me get, let me get really personal shades. Let me, let me tell you how God has been using this text to convict me this week. I have found myself tempted to say, at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, great sermon, Jesus. I know exactly who needs to hear it. All the people that I'm still angry with due to difficulties COVID caused in our relationships. I hope they get to hear what you had to say. All the wild shades. I am failing to see the beam of bitterness in my own eye. 
I'm failing to see that what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 15, that's for me. Do you remember what he said? If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Shades. Why? Jesus asks, why are we so quick? Why am I? Why am I so quick to see other specks and ignore my own beams? The answer is only arrogant self-righteousness. And Jesus is warning us that's It's deadly because the judgment that it deals out will one day justly be dealt back to it. Not saying that if we're guilty of this, then we're beyond repentance and, or we could lose our salvation or any of these kinds. I'm not saying any of that. Jesus is throwing out these words to us to shake us and wake us up so that we will repent of this. We will return to him. But what I am saying is that if we live our lives this way, and even when it is brought to our attention, we refuse to repent, then like the Pharisees, we are bearing witness to the fact that we do not in fact belong to Christ. Forgiveness is not an option for us, shades. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is not an option for believers in Jesus. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's day one and it's the last day of the Christian faith. Arrogant self-righteousness is deadly shade. That's what Jesus is showing us. And not just, he's not just showing us that arrogant self-righteousness is deadly to us individually, but also that it's deadly to us as a community, as a, as a church. I mean, clearly, it's really easy to see how it hurts our relationships with one another, but arrogant self-righteousness doesn't only hurt our relationships with one another, it actually prevents us from being able to help each other in the way that we are called to do. I think that we see that clearly through Jesus' second question. He doesn't just ask us why, he also asks how. That's in verse 4. Look at it with me. How? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a beam in your own? The implied answer is you can't. The the beam is blocking your vision. You can't help them. You You can't see clearly in order to grab the speck. What you're professing to do, you can't do. You're a blind person trying to lead the blind. Jesus said you do that. Both of you are going to fall into the pit. And here's the deal. When your brother and sister in Christ have a speck in their eye, they really do need your help. They really do. Your sibling in Christ really needs the help of removing that speck. That's why Jesus gives us the instruction that he does in verse 5. Look at it. You hypocrite. First, take the beam out your own eye. And then you will, you will, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is showing us how to relate to one another in a way not only that doesn't hurt, but that actually helps. 
Namely, don't relate to one another through arrogant self-righteousness. No, relate to one another through humble Christ-centeredness. Do you see that? Humble. First, he says, take the beam out of your own eye. In other words, humble yourself. Don't, don't be hypocritically centered on yourself like the Pharisees and their arrogant self-righteousness. No, you've been called to a greater righteousness, one that humbles itself. Do you see the irony right there? Greater righteousness, we typically think of greater as something that's elevated. It's definitely how the Pharisees are going for their greater righteousness through elevating themselves. But the greater righteousness that Jesus calls us to doesn't make us elevate ourselves, it makes us humble ourselves. For Jesus, the greater goes lower. The last are first. The greatest is the servant. The greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ doesn't elevate itself, it humbles itself. Because it's not centered on self. It's centered on, it looks away from the self, humbles itself, and it's centered on Christ. The greater righteousness has internal affections that are for Christ and for His glory. That leads to external humility. It leads me to see my own beams, to confess them, and to depend upon Jesus and His power to remove them. And when He does, then, then I can lovingly and humbly see to help my brothers and sisters around me which is precisely what I'm called to do and Jesus wants us to do. I know that because he not only addresses it here, but all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, most famously in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus lays out specific instructions for how to help your brother when they are dealing with sin. You remember these? You go humbly, lovingly to that brother or sister individually. You don't don't lord yourself, elevate yourself as greater than them you come humbly lovingly and you go to them individually if they don't listen then you take one or two brothers or sisters with you and if they don't listen then you get the church church leadership involved i know all of this is to be done lovingly and humbly because in matthew chapter 18 go home and read it in matthew after chapter 18 right after jesus gives these instructions he gives a parable it's the parable of the unforgiving servant who cannot see the beam in his own eye of massive debt that he owes his king. So he arrogantly, self-righteously refuses to forgive the speck of debt that a fellow servant owes him. And you know how that story ends? With the judgment he pronounced, he was judged. With the measure that he used, it was measured back to him by the king. He refused to forgive, and so he was not forgiven. Here's the point, Shades. The the point of Matthew 7 and Matthew 18 in conjunction is that we are to help one another humbly, lovingly. Christ has called us to live this life of greater righteousness, life in his kingdom. We've got to help one another to do that. Jesus has called us to lovingly and humbly help one another and conversely that point it's got a it's got a flip side when our brothers and sisters lovingly and humbly come to us to help with our specs we're supposed to humbly receive that help do you see that 
Matthew 7 and 18, Jesus tells us we're to help our brothers and sisters humbly, lovingly. The flip side of that is that when we're on the other side, we are to receive that help. That's why in Matthew 18, Jesus tells us to labor through multiple attempts. Go to them. They won't receive the help. Try again. They won't receive the help. Try again. The point is that we're supposed to receive the help. Ironically, most of us quote Matthew 7 to reject Matthew 18 help. Other Christians come to us humbly, lovingly to try and help us. Matthew 18, we quote Matthew 7. Don't judge me. Judge not lest you be judged. Aha, Jesus juke. Like Jesus gave me this ultimate trump card right here in Matthew 7. Can't judge me, which means I can live my life however I want to and you can't tell me otherwise. I, uh, many of you know already uh, that my entire family, except for Karis, has gotten into Taekwondo. Yes, that does include Holly and myself. In fact, Holly... She's the one who's really into it. She recently got a job at our dojo. Not kidding. Um, Yeah, we're all in. It's a problem. This past week, this past week, so I'm I'm studying for this sermon. I've got Matthew 7, 1 on the brain. And we're in class, and uh, a time comes for us to test for a stripe on our belt. And there's too many people in the class for the instructor to test individually. So the instructor calls on her most recent employee for help, Holly. And she points at my group and says, Holly, with like a smirk on her face, go judge them. I immediately looked at Holly and said, judge not lest you be judged, lady. <laughs> of course, I was joking, but this is how most of us use Matthew 7.1. It's kind of like a force field to guard against anybody else judging me, correcting me, or speaking into my life in any way that I don't like. But this passage actually instructs us to do the exact opposite. It calls us to speak into one another's lives with humble love that's aimed at healing. And when our brothers and sisters come to us that way, we dare, shades, we dare not reject the very thing that God has given to help us. That would be deadly to us as an individual. Is that not how Matthew 18 ends? The person who refused to repent ultimately is put outside the community because it can't be affirmed. They are part of the Jesus-loving community. To reject the very help that God has offered to lead us in his kindness to repentance would be too deadly to us individually and also deadly to us as a community. Shades, shades, what I'm trying to get us to see is that this passage, Matthew 7, 1, it is not a force field meant to protect your heart. No, I hope what we've seen is that it is a sword meant to pierce it so that it can be a balm to heal it and provide power to transform it. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that first, this passage is like a sword meant to pierce our heart, to make us confront and confess our own beams in humility. So that, second, it can be like a balm to heal our hearts. It shows us how to help one another in humility. And third, this passage 
provides the power for us to do all of that. All that it is calling us to do so that our hearts are transformed from arrogant self-righteousness to humble Christ-centeredness. And you're like, Jonathan, I don't see that. That's because we need to keep reading to see how this passage provides us all the power that it is calling us to do. Keep reading with me. Verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, every scholar that I have read is in agreement that this is the hardest verse in the entire Sermon on the Mount to interpret. And that's because none of them are in agreement about what Things that are holy, pearls, dogs, pigs, mean. Like there's like a million, okay, there's not a million. There's a lot of viable options. We don't have time to go through all of them. If you would like, you can ask me later. I'm happy to let you hear all of them. But I believe, here's the deal. I believe that no matter which option you take, what you think these things symbolically mean, or if they're not symbols for anything, which happens to be the position that I take. But I think no matter what you think they mean, Jesus' point that he's making is very clear, namely, be discerning. Do you see that? To Jews in the first century, dogs and pigs are both unclean animals. Dogs were not house pets. They were street scavengers. Think coyotes. Like you wouldn't give them things that were holy, that would make them unclean. That would be foolish, in other words, Jesus is saying. It wouldn't be wise. You wouldn't take something valuable that you own, like pearls, and give it to wild pigs who put everything in their mouth, and once they realize it's not food, they're going to trample it and be so angry, they'll probably turn around and trample you. Wild boars and pigs are insanely and incredibly dangerous. Jesus is saying to do that would be unwise. It would be foolish. In other words, Jesus is saying right here, I believe, test it, I believe that what Jesus is saying is my instructions to you about not judging does not eliminate wise judgment, discernment. It should eliminate unjust judgment, but not wise discernment. Or to put it another way, Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. He says, you're to be as innocent as doves, not unjust, unrighteous judgment, wise as serpents. Why does he say that? Because I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. You've got to be discerning. He's going to say the same thing to us in the Sermon on the Mount in one of the concluding bits here in just a little bit. I just look down at verse 15. He's going to tell you, you're going to encounter some wolves who try to act like they're sheep, false teachers, false prophets. You've got to use wise judgment. You've got to be discerning. Not arrogantly judgy. No, be innocent as doves. Be humbly discerning. Wise as serpents. Now, I don't know about you, But once I hear Jesus say all of that, I go, okay, Jesus, thank you, but I am confused. You have said, don't judge, but judge. I get get the distinction, I see that, but how in the world, Jesus, I don't have the wisdom to do this. I don't 
have the wisdom to know when I should be as innocent as a dove, wise as a serpent? Sometimes I probably think that I'm being uh, humbly Christ-centered, but I'm actually being arrogantly self-righteous. Like, like, I don't have the power. How in the world am I going to have the power to do this complex thing that you've called us to do? To not judge in arrogant self-righteousness, but to be transformed in order to discern in humble Christ-centeredness. How am I going to have the power to do that? Jesus is glad we asked. He answers. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? In a parallel passage in Luke 11 and verse 13, it gets even more specific. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, Jesus is saying, God will provide the power for you to do what I'm calling you to do. God will provide, ask him, seek him. And in your asking and your seeking and your knock, He will provide the power for you to discern in humble Christ-centeredness. He will give you the wisdom just to ask. James 1 and verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Ask. James also says, You have not because you ask not. Ask. God, I want to live the way you've called me to live. Ask, seek, knock. Your Father will provide the power through His Holy Spirit to transform your heart from judging in arrogant self-righteousness to discerning in humble Christ-centeredness. I know that's the power being promised right here because of the very first word of verse 12. Look at it. If you've got an ESV, it says, so, bad translation. Greek word is un. It means therefore. Therefore. Like, like, in other words, because your Father will provide you all the power that you need, you can live this way that I'm calling you to live. Look at it. Therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, don't judge others with the judgment that you don't want coming back on yourself. Don't measure to others the measurement that, or don't measure to others with a measurement you don't want used back on you. No, instead, live this way, humbly, Christ-centeredly, treating others the way that you want to be treated, relating to others the way you want to be related to, not through arrogant self-righteousness, but humble Christ-centeredness. Shades. Our hearts can be transformed so that we live this way because we don't live this way in our own power. That's what the therefore does. It connects Asking your Father with living this way. We can live this way because we don't live this way in our own power, but in power that has been promised from the Father. He can promise it to you because that power has been purchased by His Son. Jesus Christ was judged for you so that you not be judged. 
the, the measure that I should have received for my sin was measured out to him. And the measure of his righteousness is free. Measured out. Poured out. Given to me. Because he bore every beam of my sin quite literally on the beams of the cross and he didn't just take the beams of my sin he took every last little speck and he bore it all down into death defeated it and rose again to give me life and light so that i might see him now free from beams free from specks i might see him clearly in all his glory shades that's the gospel and it pierces our hearts like a sword so that it may heal them like a balm and transform us to live the life of the greater righteousness of the kingdom of christ shades let's ask seek and knock for that let's let's ask the father to provide the power to put all of our arrogant self-righteousness to death let's seek let's seek to live in humble christ-centeredness that jesus himself is purchased and the spirit empowers let's knock on that door no matter how many times we shut it in our own face let's ask seek knock and be empowered to live out the greater righteousness of the kingdom of Christ.